You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 14. Today, I am joined by Jen. Hi, guys. She's back, and we've got a special guest today, Dr. David Trossman. Not that special, but yeah. (laughs) We are today on this show. Um, We really appreciate him being on the show not only because uh, he had to jump through many technical hoops to get here, we've had some, some technical difficulties, but also um, because he has agreed to do not only the show, but also speak to the Centex Planeteers group that I run later this year. So I really appreciate your time and your willingness to share your knowledge with us. Um, so Dr. Trossman is a research associate at UT Austin for the Odin Institute for Computational Engineering and Sciences. And I'm going to let him kind of explain what that means and how he got uh, to this point in his career, the the path that he took. Okay. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Jennifer. Um, So right now, I would refer to myself as a computational physical oceanographer uh, or ocean data scientist. Um, And so I I, I took the route of physical oceanography. uh, I'll explain what that is in a moment. It just means it's it's the physics of the ocean, um, how the ocean moves, uh, the heat and salt in it, uh, wave physics, uh, things like that, the ocean's role in climate. Uh, And so I I got there by... uh, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of usual, kind of unusual route. Uh, just I majored in math and physics. I thought I wanted to go on in physics, and then I I stumbled across upon the IPCC report um, from 2001. They make a report every five or seven years, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and uh, they they uh, ever since the early 90s. And uh, uh, one just came out uh, last fall about uh, 1.5 degrees versus 2 degrees Celsius warming. Uh, But these were more general, just the state of climate science. And the one that I read in 2001, they they barely mentioned the ocean. They just knew that it was uptaking a lot of heat. uh, And that's about all they knew. Uh, according to the summary for policymakers. So I thought there was a niche in there. So I I Google searched uh, ocean climate Seattle. I was very specific. And uh, the first thing that came up was the program on climate change. I applied for it. They flew me out. I met my future advisor, and that was that. Um, I was set on going. And... uh, so then I I just went through that and I did two postdocs. Uh, right now I'm in uh, I don't know if it's the endpoint, but I'm kind of in the middle of making my way around the entire country. Uh, so I went from Seattle to Ann Arbor to Montreal to D.C. to Austin. Uh, I'm almost. Uh, it seems like it's uh, in my future to go to the West Coast. I guess again if I complete the circle, but um, I. Then I, I I landed here, uh, and I I just I have to get my own funding um, for the most part, and um, so you just apply to government institutions in order to be paid. Um, 
It's not a life everyone wants, not in it for the money, um, despite what a climate skeptic might say. Um, I, I, I can't get any more money than the university says I can get anyway. Um, yeah. So, the, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the, the uh, qualification process, but uh, there, there, there's a lot of, um, it, so the, the way that I, I landed on oceanography, I, I mentioned, but um, not a lot of people make the, the connection between the ocean and just uh, how we experience, uh, what we experience in our lives on land. Um, and uh, I don't know, it did. Uh, so, so what do you, uh, it, Jennifer, either Jennifer, uh, think the the relevance of the ocean is if you're a land lover? Um, so, if you if you're in the middle of the mountains in Colorado, um, uh, what what why does the ocean matter? Well, you're the one I, asking me questions. You're supposed to, I guess. right. <laughs> so, so I'll start by saying I first. Uh, well, I guess my big um, fascination with the ocean, I've always been drawn, you know, to different aspects of, of the ocean and studying it. But I actually read um, Sylvia Earle's book, The World is Blue, last year, and that really opened my eyes to a lot of the um, importance of the ocean, the, the things that it does for us, and also um, the threats that you know, humans and climate change are posing to the ocean and the life forms in it. Um, so I would say, you know, what I got most out is, is not only the fact that it is responsible for a lot of the oxygen in the world, um, it it harbors a lot of life, it sequesters a lot of carbon, and ultimately, um, you know, it's it's really the most important, one of the most important things to our planet's survival are the oceans. I know that's a very broad statement, but uh, it's no, it's it's true. I mean, it's really a, it, our our survival is dependent upon many finely tuned factors. Um, I mean, it, people studying the habitability of planets are amazed just that we exist. Uh, I mean, it, the, there's this narrow band of habitability. Uh, uh, it, not not just the distance from the sun, but also whether your planet has water, whether um, it, ha it, it uh, convex enough to, to produce clouds. Um, uh, you, you need cloud coverage uh, in a lot of, on a lot of planets in order to potentially harbor life, uh, if not all, um, uh, which I wouldn't have expected, but a lot of studies are coming out about that. And uh, the ocean is, is really important um, in being able to regulate the planet. Uh, so that and you're right. So it produces over half the oxygen. Um, it takes up about 30% of the carbon dioxide uh, that we emit, um, and it's taken up over 90% of the heat that's uh, been accumulating on Earth because of uh, greenhouse gases, uh, things like the carbon dioxide that we're emitting, and that stays in the atmosphere. So. Uh, Jen, did you want to jump in with anything? I was just going to say, I think for the average person, especially in America, you know, thinking about these global issues can be a little overwhelming at times. And so I, I do my best to try to bring it back 
a little bit and just say to your question originally is if I'm in the mountains in Colorado and I like to ski and, you know, I don't really care about the ocean so much, my response to you might be, is, you know, I like seafood. So if there's something wrong with the ocean and I, I can't have seafood any longer, then that could just be something that affects the average person that enjoys having that ability yeah, you know, sure. to, eat, to eat and have the availability to eat, you know, healthy, happy seafood, <laughs> not um, these sustainably grown farms, if you will. So the farm raised seafood and all of that. So, um, yeah, so that was my, that was my response to your question. <laughs> um, I think just so we can get clarity on this, this show a little bit, I, I think a lot of people just want to know what they can do to be a part of the, the solution to some of these global problems. So if we can just keep that in mind as we move forward <laughs> on the conversation, um, you know, a lot of times it can be a little hard to, to grasp like these major problems and, you know, just mentioning things to the general public that they can do to try to help might, might be something that we can talk about today. Yeah. Uh, so our, a, a source of food is definitely one, um, uh, important thing that, that all, it, all land lovers, uh, appreciate. Um, or even people who are at sea most of the time. So, um, uh, so if fisheries are affected by by various factors that that have been changing. Like, um, uh, well, the fact that we're putting out carbon dioxide that gets into the ocean. Um, uh, I said 30% of what we emit, basically, and um, that that's. Uh, because of chemistry, that's increasing um, how acidic the waters are. All, all it takes is you don't even need to believe in the arguments about uh, temperature uh, changes uh, due to greenhouse gases. Just the fact that carbon dioxide is going into the atmosphere, some of it gets into the ocean, that is going to make it more acidic because it turns into carbonic acid. Um, and so... Uh, that, that's affecting uh, a lot of organisms to make their shells if they're made out of certain minerals. Um, those minerals, uh, when those life forms die, go down to the bottom of the ocean uh, sometimes, and uh, that forms the, the seafloor. You know, the sand on the seafloor, the sediment, um, that, uh, that comes from those biological life forms. Uh, they're made out of uh, calcium carbonate. So that calcium carbonate dissolves when you have more acidic water. Um, so a lot of, some skeptics will say, well, the ocean is not acidic, and it still isn't, and that's technically true, because uh, the, the pH is above 7. Uh, the, the pH is actually well above 7, but um, it's, it's actually getting lower and lower, which means more and more acidic. Um, and it's been measured. It, it's been measured that it's been getting lower everywhere we've me measured it. So. Um, okay. So it, then there there are other things, uh, it, and and the, to connect that with with fisheries. So the, that just uh, uh, the the inability to make those shells for certain light forms that impacts the the ecosystem. 
And so uh, people have, have noticed that uh, when those organisms are impacted, uh, that impacts ultimately fish that we eat. And so, so, so I've heard even the, the NASA program manager um, uh, say that he's pretty concerned about um, seafood being at the table in a few decades. So, so again, to bring it back to what Jen said and what you're explaining, um, not only, you know, does the the ocean affect um, our planet and our ability to live on it, but bringing it home, uh, it, it affects the food we are able to eat and also the economy because, you know, the seafood industry is yeah. a billion dollar something dollar industry and a lot of people's livelihoods depend on that. Um, a lot of tourism dollars go into, you know, those activities. So uh, when we're thinking about, you know, why should we keep the oceans healthy? If nothing else, if you don't believe in climate change and, and the other things that go along with it, think about, you know, the fact that it will affect the economy and your ability to eat certain foods. Um, and I, I want to kind of touch real quick on on this, just so people understand. You mentioned the 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius shift um, in the oceans. What exactly does that mean? Why is that important for regulating the planet's climate? And why should we be concerned? Because I think a lot of people hear two degrees and they don't understand, first of all, that Celsius, so that they have much bigger margins between their degrees, but also um, why does it matter? It gets warmer. Yeah. Uh so, so when when you hear those numbers, that's a global average, and uh, you have to uh, you have to keep in mind that the equatorial regions, so the, the very low latitudes near uh, Peru, uh, Brazil, uh, um, uh, parts of Africa, etc., uh, th those those are going to change in temperature by less, uh, but they are uh, more sensitive. Uh, to those small changes. Um, so places like uh, like India right now, uh, their water cycle is being disrupted, not only by us, but also by the change in climate. Um, places like Syria, Venezuela, etc., they're all going through water crises. Um, the, so the, the temperature on the planet is related to the water cycle. And uh, the ocean, of course, plays a very important role in that. Um, uh, also, uh, the the two degrees, just to give some context, that uh, that's basically the difference in temperature between an ice age and now. Um, so, uh, if you just lowered the the global average temperature by two degrees from the, what it was uh, in the late 1800s. Uh, if you lowered it by two degrees, you would have an ice age. Um, it, it, the planet seems very sensitive when you think about it in terms of these small numbers. Uh, but uh, it also two degrees, like I said about the equator, um, they, they experience less than that. But what parts of the world experiences more than that everywhere else? Um, so it, the Arctic uh, is going to see the largest changes. And that's really unfortunate because uh, there's a lot of sea ice and, and other ice on land to reflect the radiation. And if there's less of that, uh, there's less reflection. And so there's more heat being absorbed by the Earth. And so 
then, just a vicious cycle. <laughs> yeah, and so it, you you warm even more then. Um, I mean, it's not a runaway feedback uh, because of the response of other parts of the Earth system, like clouds. Uh, and also the fact that we shoot up aerosols in the atmosphere, that actually partially offsets the warming. Uh, but we don't like breathing in those aerosols, so um, it, it's kind of uh, a pro and a con. Um, well, the other thing, uh, when it comes to glacial melt or ice ice melt, um, that puts more water in the ocean, which raises the sea level, right? And yeah. that's when you see more flooding, uh, specifically along you know, coastal areas. Also, it reduces the amount of fresh water, or, or I guess ice is water frozen, but um, it, it reduces that. So then you have more salt water in the world, and you're you're kind of uh, stuck with that, you know, issue of that's not really very usable to humans unless you do a lot of treatment to it. So um, yeah. So sea level. Um, that that's that's an extreme that's i i think it's becoming the the most important uh issue i mean i uh, i i just sorry i'm gonna digress for a moment and then i'll get back to to sea level um but i i was just listening last night to um someone talk about the most important reasons people think that we should do something about the changing climate so here here's what they said they said provide a better life for our children and grandchildren that's the number one reason. Um, improve people's health. Uh, save many plants and animal species from extinction. Protect God's creation. Uh, and save many uh, people around the world from poverty and starvation. So I don't even think that hits upon uh, one of the most important aspects um, uh, of, of the changing climate, which is, is sea level, and that... Uh, sea level is going to make uh, as many as 200 million people by the end of the century have to move. Uh, in the U.S. alone, it's estimated to be 13.1 million. Wow. Uh, and it's all along the coast. There are certain hot spots like Miami, New Orleans, San Francisco, New York City, Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, actually, part uh, Northeast Houston. Yeah, and some of those places are already experiencing daytime flooding, right? Where the water right. comes in through their gutters and, you know, it's like... They find octopuses in the middle of the parking lot, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Poor things. And so so the, the, the if you're living in the middle of the mountains in Colorado, um, how, how does the ocean impact you if, if there's sea level rise? Well, people are going to be moving to your city. Nobody uh, wants you're, that. You're not, you're not <laughs> unaffected by sea level rise. You think you are high up in the mountains, but you're not. Yeah, there's some uh, interesting maps that show kind of a time lapse of what the world will look like in 10, 20, 50, 100 years if we don't stop sea level rise. And I mean entire countries, entire states and cities will be underwater. It's kind of terrifying. Um a lot of Italy, I think, would be gone. Just, just all these peninsula areas that we take for granted and they're historic. They won't be there if we don't do something to fix this. So that yeah. leads me to a question. <laughs> what do you feel like is the solution? I mean, there's a lot of different options that get thrown around, but if you could just name like your top three 
options for what needs to happen to reverse this or prevent it from occurring, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, so so the the top three things that um, so the national uh, uh, climate assessment report that came out, it, it, it was kind of buried. Um, I, uh, and so it came out the day after Thanksgiving. They they wanted to just sneak it out there. I remember that <laughs> media notice. Uh, so uh, in that report, they they outline. I I believe the I remember the the top three. So the top three are um, uh, uh, stop over or prevent overpopulation. Uh, so uh, just. Uh, reproduce responsibly. Uh, adopt if you want to have a child and you don't mind that um, uh, the child isn't your genetic uh, relative or um, uh, just uh, uh, educate people who or, or give uh, uh, some, some protection uh, for for people who have had uh, more than replacing capacity, uh, more than two. Um, uh, there, there are a number, a number of different things, but it, it's a very unpopular uh, topic, <laughs> as you can imagine, because it, it, it sounds like you're uh, guilting people who have had children, and uh, that I don't think that's the uh, I don't think that's what people are trying to do at all when they bring it up in this context. It's that uh, when you have uh, more people, that's more people who need all the infrastructure and they're going to be emitting uh, the greenhouse gases by driving cars, by um, turning on air conditioners, eating, uh, things like that. And so, uh, I mean, the number one factor that they found in the report was uh, stop overpopulation. Wasn't there a uh, a big movement in the 70s or 80s to kind of manage population? And it, it was kind of an environmental discussion, right. but it yeah, obviously wasn't realized, very. <laughs> people realized there was a limit to uh, our consumption habits. I don't know if it was necessarily motiv motivated by uh, the warming world or a changing climate, but uh, it was motivated by the fact that they they noticed on the other side of the world, people had very little resources and were starving, whereas people in the U.S. were uh, able to indulge in buffets. Um, so, uh, so, so people wanted to be a little more responsible um, uh, in, in that respect, and uh, that, that movement kind of died out probably because of the connotation um, uh, that, that some people feel guilted and then they, they have a backlash. Um, but there, there, are other, there are other methods uh, that, that, that are very important. Uh, I mean, one of which is also something that has connotations and people might feel guilty about, uh, maybe even both others. Uh, so, so one of them that is, isn't so bad in that respect is that um, just uh, fly in airplanes less and, and also take public transportation, uh, just uh, don't drive as much or use a, a vehicle that emits less like a motorcycle or, um, or electric cycle or electric vehicle or a hybrid vehicle. There are a lot of different options and 
Um, it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of the different cities, even in this country and all over the world, don't have sufficient public transportation that uh, more people don't take it. Uh, for example, in Austin, I saw that just 4% ride public transportation. <laughs> wow. Uh, I take it to work and back every day, and it's packed, the, the buses. And you would not think that only 4% of the city takes it, but apparently that's what the, the surveys found. Um, and that 74% uh, of the city, one person per car on their way to work. It's really sad how uh, this country specifically is so, you know, just one-minded about using uh, single-use, <coughs> excuse me, vehicles. Um, we're all about the personal car and the, the highway and the interstate, and we're not as impressed with the, the mass transit like they are in, in other countries that are forced to use it because they are limited in space. <coughs> and it's just very unfortunate that we're yeah. behind. I mean, I, I've, I've lived half <coughs> cities that had virtually no public transportation infrastructure and half in cities with amazing public transportation. Uh, cities like D.C., uh, Chicago, Seattle, Montreal, those were great in terms of getting around without a car. I didn't need a car in those cities. Uh, but then others, um, I, I, I do need it here sometimes. Um you don't want to have to drive it in those cities yeah. either. It's I've awful. Never, I've never enjoyed driving, but yeah. Um, yeah so there, there's another. There, there's uh, one, one last factor. This is another controversial one: is just eating less meat. Uh, just because uh, it takes so much, uh, so many resources, especially water, uh, to to grow a pound of beef effectively. Um, it, it's beef in particular, so uh, raising cows to be eaten. Um, that, that's by far the worst one in terms of uh, pollution and water resources. But um, so, so if uh, people just reduced that uh, that consumption, it would have actually a large impact. But uh, people are saying, well, would it really because of uh, the transportation of those resources to your plate um, isn't as bad as, say, the transportation of vegetables from the other side of the world that you want on your plate, et cetera. Uh, things like chickpeas also are water intensive. And uh, so vegetarians aren't necessarily uh, uh, low carbon in their diets if they're eating a lot of chickpeas. Um, but uh, but one thing is known that uh, beef, uh, if you eat less of it, there would be less emissions and probably more water to go around. But uh, so the, I mean, the, there, are other, there are other things, uh, but, but it's really unfortunate that uh, people feel this guilt uh, also, uh, there are misinformation campaigns. Um, also, I mean, there, there are a lot of things, the, the speed at which climate is changing, there just are a lot of things uh, that go against uh, movements on, on trying to come up, come up with a solution. I mean, there, there's, uh, so to it, individuals may not change their behaviors on their own also. I mean, Economists would espouse that belief, 
um, that that uh, if meat was priced more expensively, then uh, maybe we'd eat less of it. Uh, but then that impacts other markets like grains, etc. Um, there, there's also uh, government regulations. So uh, they, they could say that uh, you need uh, the utilities need to come up with a certain amount of uh, renewable energy. Uh, in in certain states, you need uh, this mix. Uh, so states are allowed to come up with their own optimal mix, like in Nevada, maybe solar would be better in Arizona. In Texas, we we actually like wind. Uh, we for the first time we're producing more winds than uh, we're uh, it, more wind power than we're producing coal power. Yay! So I I'm proud of Texas for that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I had a coworker that asked me about this show and, you know, she wanted to know, you know, like what she could do to help. And the first thing that popped in my head was to just tell her to conserve energy, you know, turn off the lights and yeah. regulate your air conditioner with a programmable thermostat. You know, these are things that are more, you know, palatable, I suppose. Right. And it saves them money on their electric bill. So we try to, you know, sell it in that regard. Um but yeah, I think there are some other things that can be done that maybe aren't as uh, difficult or controversial. Well, well, here, here's one. Um, I don't think this should be controversial. Just uh, waste less food. I mean, uh, eat what's on your plate and uh, maybe don't eat a whole lot more than you need. I mean, uh, th that would utilize less resources. And there would be less associated emissions. The yep. grocery stores would respond accordingly, according to uh, what's what's being demanded of them. Uh, so uh, if there there might be over a short period of time uh, while they're adjusting to new demands, uh, there might be a bit of waste uh, in the grocery stores just sitting on the shelves. But uh, there should be mechanisms uh, by which uh, that supposedly wasted food goes to places like food pantries. Um, so the food pantries should get uh, that food, and then that gets used by people in need. Uh, there doesn't need to be so much wasted food. It's really astounding how much is wasted. <laughs> yeah, we actually did a show on that a few months ago, and yeah. I think... We talked about how about a third of it is wasted before it even gets to the consumer. It sits in the field or it, it gets thrown away at the stores. And, and it's just appalling, like, the amount that we're throwing away could feed some of these countries, like you mentioned, that have don't have enough food. Um, not to mention, you know, as consumers, how much food do you throw away every week from just not paying attention or buying too much or letting it sit out and spoil or whatever. So um, I think that's something everyone can agree. You know, not only will that be an easy thing sort of to implement, but it will help save the money in the long run. So um, you can see the benefit in that. Um, the yeah, three so, things. Oh. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the, the, there's, I mean, uh, just big picture. Uh, there's, uh, we, we're talking about um, mitigation. Uh, there's also adaptation uh, solutions. Adaptation solutions becomes a really cool con conversation, but it, it but it 
cannot be by itself. So what what I mean is, uh, so mitigation is this large scale. Okay, let's let's attack the problem at its source. Um, so let's, uh, I mean, people have considered geoengineering, but let's put that aside because that's kind of uh, that that's even more. That's one of the most controversial things to talk about with climate scientists. Uh, I mean, it, that, there really isn't. Uh, a technique that is going to just solve the problem by itself. Um, and it, it might be in a transition period, maybe we shoot up aerosols to try to cool off the climate a little bit more, but, um, uh, but, but that's about it. Uh, but mitigation is just trying to reduce the emissions, basically. Um, and then adaptation, uh, there's uh, there's also, I mean, you can build really cool things. Uh, if if you're an engineer, um, uh, th this is this is what you want to be doing for a living potentially. Um, uh, th there are things like uh, climate scientists have come up with ways to block the the ice shelf in Antarctica from melting and uh, flooding into the ocean, um, uh, so that it goes back to the continent and refreezes. Uh, so uh, they've proposed, of course, a wall. And then, of course, they said, um, and we're going to make the penguins pay for it. Um, <laughs> and uh, there, there are also um, uh, things like uh, people have proposed uh, just spraying uh, water back on the continent, Antarctica, not just a wall, but spraying it onto the continent. And so, so the... Uh, the ice sheets get built up slowly again. Um, uh, it, and then uh, we can also attack the problem here just right uh, in on our coasts or in our backyards. Uh, there are a lot of different solutions for dealing with uh, overheated cities, like you can reflect back more radiation. You can... Um, you can deal with water resource issues. You can... Uh, it, People pr proposed walls on coast to deal with sea level, but that, that's not a very smart solution because water just will go around your wall. Are you going to build a wall around your entire continent? Probably not. So. Yeah, it's a temporary fix. I've also heard that there are uh, there's research being done in reflective sand on the ice, uh, reflective, I don't know if you'd call them bubbles or just things that you put in the water to float and kind of help, you know, keep the sun or reduce the sun's impact. So, so there's a lot of creative things going on. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think maybe it'll take a little bit of everything, uh, the mitigation and some of the creative engineering, but um, it definitely one thing's for sure is it will take everybody kind of doing their part to adapt to this new reality because it's going to happen um, if we don't you know, things are going to change uh, for the worse. And I know everyone thinks if you, if it's just me doing it, it's not going to make a difference. But if we all think that way, then nobody's going to do anything and it's not going to change. It's going to take everyone doing, you know, a little bit and we'll see um, big results altogether, I think. Yeah. I mean, so some of the most uh, powerful things can, that could happen, like I was alluding to earlier, is just changes in what things are priced and what uh, what uh, what is even supplied to us. Like if there is uh, less resources for us to to utilize, we will have to adapt. 
if there is less that we can buy because it's too expensive, we will have to adapt. People do not want to think about that because it's uh, uncomfortable and might disrupt your, their lives. But there are even other things that uh, uh, governments and uh, inter the international community can do, like uh, renewable energy. I don't think that renewable energy uh, should be very controversial. I mean, you can continue the same behaviors that you've had, essentially, um, uh, just with and even with the, the same kind of frameworks, uh, but just using different energy power plants and uh, you use a different type of vehicle, like an electric vehicle. Uh, that that alone, uh, here, I, I wrote a blog post about this, about how much that would save. Uh, so people have estimated that climate change could cost as much as a quadrillion dollars by the end of the century. Uh, and uh, putting in renewable energy infrastructure could save us uh, almost 200 trillion of that. Wow. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Uh, trying to implement more wide-scale renewable energy should not be controversial. <laughs> Unfortunately, they only look at the upfront costs versus the yeah. cost savings a lot of the time. And I think that's it's a problem with a lot of industries in this country. But you're right. It shouldn't be controversial. It shouldn't be political. Um, if for no other reason than we are not going to have fossil fuels forever, like they are a non-renewable resource, we will run out someday. So why not start thinking of other ways to power our cars and lights and everything in our life that don't emit pollution as a side effect? Yeah. It's kind of annoying. So, I mean, then, then we can get into, uh, I mean, we've alluded to it a couple of times uh the, the politics of it, and I don't know if I want to go, <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, what, one, one thing about this issue, though, that, that I have read that um, uh, is, is that uh, actually a, more than a majority uh, agrees that the climate is changing and that we should do something about it. I mean, whether they say that humans are the cause, a little less, but still a majority. Uh, say humans are the cause uh, in the U.S. And uh, so if, if our government leaders are saying that, uh, that it's a hoax, etc., cetera, uh, then they're, oh, and um, scientists are now the tr most trusted, uh, science is now the most uh, trusted profession in the U.S., so, so the combination of those uh, statistics uh, makes it really uh, it, it seem like uh, our government leaders are not doing what the people want. Um, but I mean, when, when have they? I guess I don't know. But <laughs> um, I mean, they, they just lag a little behind um, until they realize that. Uh, uh, they're they're not voted into office again because they didn't listen to their constituents. So. Well, hopefully, yeah. folks. Well, that's do... another uh, voting is yeah. very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, hopefully, folks do uh, exercise their right to vote folks out that are not doing things in our best interest because. Um, not only environmentally, but there are other things happening in the country and in, in the world that. Uh, 
you know, our government leaders aren't always listening to their constituents on. And if there's an issue that's important to you, definitely exercise your voice through your vote. Um, all right, Jen, did you have anything you wanted to throw in there or ask or? Um, I think some people are familiar with the term of like coral reefs getting bleached. Uh -huh. And I just didn't know if we wanted to mention that a little bit too. A yeah, lot of people so like to take vacations and travel and go see lovely coral reefs. And so I just thought we'd throw that in as a, as a last minute topic. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. So if we lost all the coral reefs due to bleaching and then they die off, it would cost us a uh, trillion dollars a year. Uh, it, it, it's they actually play a really important role. It's not just in supporting the ecosystems where they are. Uh, it, it also is because they dissipate a lot of the wave energy that happens when um, uh, when waves are propagating to the coast. So so when a, an earthquake occurs and a tsunami is formed, uh, if there's a coral reef in the way, it will dissipate a lot of that energy. Uh, it, there is also uh, things like mangroves and other things that can uh, that can buffer the impact. But without uh, the impact of uh, of uh, the coral reefs standing in the way from harmful waves uh, impinging upon the coast, uh, there will be a lot more coastal damage. Uh, and so they they are pretty important. Uh, I don't think that part of uh, the coral reef story gets a lot of uh, press, uh, but uh, coral reefs, uh, yeah. So people, they it would cost us a trillion dollars not only because of that damage, but because of tourism. People love them; they're beautiful, um, and uh, the, so they're they're one of the species affected actually by uh, the increasing acidity in the ocean. Uh, so acidity and increasing temperatures causes uh, coral bleaching. There are some coral species that are more resilient than others. And so that's one of the techniques that people have been using to try to uh, get coral reefs to, to survive. Uh, they've been trying to uh, selectively breed the, one that are more, uh, the ones that are more heat resistant. Like I believe there's one in the Red Sea uh, that's more heat resistant. Um, and then uh, they, they are trying to use robots to try to disperse the, their larvae. Um, yeah, and, they have a very, very uh, unique and delicate reproductive uh, process, yeah. right? Like once a year on a full moon and I don't well, know, something crazy. Well, that, that was one thing. That <laughs> it was, is. That was one thing that was just discovered that actually uh, some, some species uh, uh, tried to uh, – spread their eggs multiple times a month, actually. Uh, and so that, that's another thing that could be genetically selected to try to help the survival of the reefs. Yeah. But, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I mean, there, there, there are a bunch of other tangents I, I wanted to go on. I've probably gone on too many. But, well, I, I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> they're, just, they're just fascinating to me. I actually got to go to the Great Barrier Reef uh, two years ago. And it was, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life, not just because they're so beautiful, but just to learn about their impact on our world. Um, 
they produce a lot of the oxygen in, in the planet. Um, and if we lose the, them, then we'll lose a huge source of, of oxygen in the world. But um, just seeing the effect of climate change in real time, you know, we got to see some that were alive, but there was a lot of bleaching happening and there still is um, in those reefs. Um, and just seeing the amount of life that depends on those, you know, formations for as an ecosystem, it's really interesting. And then the dynamic between the reefs and the mangroves and the rainforest and how they all kind of work together and depend on each other um, was just fascinating. So uh, when you hear about, you know, climate change is killing the, re the coral again, that's where that one or two degrees is so important because that can really be the, you yeah. know, life or death factor for some of these these life forms. In yeah, the ocean. a lot of things in the ocean are just very sensitive uh, relative to things in the atmosphere for the changes in temperature that we're used to. Um, it's they if you push it one more degree, you might not be able to survive. I mean, there are already uh, fish migrating. There, there was a study done six years ago, just uh, showing all the the directions and locations. Uh, uh, where uh, certain types of fish tended to congregate um, relative to pastimes, and they found that they were moving to colder waters or uh, or more nutrient rich ones because um, uh, just there wasn't as much uh, productivity uh, due to the the more microscopic organisms that the fish fed off. Of. Um, uh, in here, here's a tangent though that I, I kind of wanted to mention earlier. Uh, it has to do with um, the loss of oxygen from the ocean. Um, so that that's due to a bunch of factors, um, uh, and it's not directly related to acidification, but it actually compounds the effects on fish because fish breathe oxygen, so it matters to them. Uh, but the, the ocean's steadily losing oxygen. And so the combination of acidity and oxygen um, uh, is actually what's going to most, uh, well, and also temperature. That's the triple threat. Temperature, acidity, uh, oxygen, uh, that, that's what's going to impact the fisheries. It's not just the acid acidification. It's amazing that some animals are even still around with as many uh, things as they've had to adapt to. Um, j just one of those things is enough to, you know, severely affect a lot of life forms. And they're dealing with three things at once and it doesn't look, you know, it's just subtly getting worse. So um, the fact that we still have a lot of these creatures is, is pretty impressive, but also shows that we don't have much time left. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if it so so it, and to go back to um, why why the ocean is important. I, so I I don't think I I um, talked about why why the ocean is a is a buffer. Um, so so the ocean it's a and why um, there are such small numbers that are so important. Um, so in the ocean, even though, so the 1.5 to 2 degrees, uh, that's referring to the atmosphere at the surface. The ocean's going to change by less than that. And that's because uh, it, of, of its mass, basically, um, or density, um, uh, mass per unit volume. Uh, 
So it, it takes about 850 times more heat to raise the ocean by a temperature, uh, by a degree temperature, than the atmosphere. Uh, so it, the ocean's been taking up some over 90% of the heat that's in excess. The atmosphere has been uh, keeping very little of it, um, and so that way, uh, the ocean's been buffering the temperature change that we experience. But uh, those those events, those coral bleaching events, um, those are actually uh, due to the these marine heat waves where it, it's an unusually hot time in the ocean. They experience heat waves just like we do at the surface. Uh, and that that's uh, because of a bunch of uh, that that's one thing that a physical oceanographer studies. Um, just how those heat waves occur. And uh, the ocean also, not only do they, uh, does it take up so much heat and um, uh, reduce the amount that the atmosphere is warming, but uh, its circulation actually plays a role. Uh, it, because its circulation is changing, uh, and that's due to things like uh, the ice melt and uh, changing um, uh, exchange between the atmosphere and ocean, uh, that circulation change is actually expected to further buffer the rate at which climate changes. So the ocean is doing everything it can. <laughs> um, it, it, and when when there's these uh, differences in, in temperature between the equator and, and the poles, that the differences are getting smaller because, as I was talking about, the, the Arctic is going to warm more than the equator. Uh, that actually is changing our weather systems that we experience. So that's another way that the ocean is uh, going to impact someone who lives in the mountains in Colorado. So you know the, those uh, those deep freeze events during the winter, like this past one. Polar uh, vortexes. Yeah, the polar vortex events. So, so the polar vortex, atmospheric scientists kind of get irked uh, when people say it, um, <laughs> just because they like being very specific. There are there are two polar vortices. There's the troposphere one, stratosphere one. Um, the the troposphere one is the one that we experience, but um, uh, sea ice uh, depletion and uh, also the uh, the reduction in difference in temperature between the equator and poles that contributes to disrupting the uh, stratospheric one, and then that affects uh, the, uh, the one that we experience. So it's it's kind of this roundabout mechanism, but but the ocean plays uh, a pivotal role in it. Um, is what people are uh, think they're finding. Uh, so uh, the ocean is a regulator. Uh, but it all it, it can't do everything to stop extremes from happening. Yeah, that's that's a really good point and something uh, that you hear a lot about the effects of climate change is is that it makes extreme weather events more extreme and specifically the ocean has a lot to do with that. Um, especially when you're looking at hurricanes and um, coastal areas, you know the tsunamis and everything. But it's even like you said, it affects things like polar vortexes. And that seems a little contradictory when you're talking about the planet's warming, but you're causing these insane cold events in the winter. Yeah. 
And that's a big argument that a lot of deniers have is, you know, well, we can't be, you know, warming the planet because look, it's winter and it's snowing. <laughs> that's not how yeah. it works, but yeah, it's called the seasons. Um, yeah, it's weather, it, not and it's also weather. Um, so the one, one thing that climate scientists need to communicate very clearly is just the distinction between weather and climate. And I believe you've discussed that on your show. Um, so, I mean, just to reiterate, it, it cannot be more important to kind of clear. Um, yeah, it, I mean, uh, weather weather is uh, just an event. It's happening in the moment. Um, uh, climate is, uh, when you think back uh, on uh, what happened over a long period of time. Uh, what, how did how did you feel about it? Um, and so it's it's kind of like that. It's it's the statistics. It's the average of the weather. Um, long term, not short term. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So Great what point. you're saying is, is I need to invest in white water rafting in Colorado and not ski <laughs> lodges. <laughs> Right. Just kidding. Become a whitewater rafting instructor instead of a ski instructor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, we're all moving to Denver, so <laughs> get ready for us. <laughs> we're going to get a villa on the mountaintop, which won't be cold for very long, but. <laughs> no, I don't know. I guess it'd be nice if we could end on like a good note. Is there anything good happening? Like, are there things, I know we mentioned coral reefs are being rebuilt. Is there anything else that you've seen or that you've experienced that you'd like to share? Well, uh, so, I, I mean, yeah, the, the, this is always uh, difficult for a climate. I mean, a climate scientist lives off of this depression, I guess. But um, <laughs> um, we want to remain optimistic. <laughs> what yes. about? Are there any causes or yeah, yeah. So, that, that so, might be able uh, to this help? next generation. <laughs> this this upcoming generation seems uh like they're they're going to do better than um uh, we we've done or uh, the people who came before us did um i mean uh, greta thunberg her movement other movements they're 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 saying the right things they're they're actually being paid attention to um uh it, there's also a study that shows that um when children talk to their parents about uh, climate change, the parents are actually more receptive, uh, and the, the the kids are actually some of the best communicators uh, of anyone that the parents could listen to, because the parents, of course, care about their children. Like I was saying, with uh, some of these top five reasons uh, to do something about climate change. The number one reason was provide a better life for our children and grandchildren. And so, I mean, it, 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 I, I gave uh, the number one thing that you could do to reduce your impact on, on climate is uh, prevent overpopulation. Um, and so that seems a little contradictory as well. <laughs> but um, you, so, so what, what are we saving the, the planet for other uh, other species, our own species, if uh, 
if we're not going to save it for the next generation. So of course, um, people are going to have uh, more children. We need that. Um, but uh, to to go beyond the point where we can sustain the human population uh, is a mistake. And I think that's ultimately what uh, the, the movement in the 70s was all about. Uh, it wasn't so much about the climate change, though. And now, now climate change is just compounding upon that. Uh, I mean, the inequality between uh, many developed countries and uh, less developed countries are it has in, uh, has been decreasing over time. That's actually a great thing. But climate change has actually prevented that decrease uh, from being as good as it would have been. So it, uh, the the gap is about 25% uh, larger because of already what has uh, changed about climate. And so that that's disconcerting for countries that don't may not have the resources to adapt. Um, I mean, it, it's comforting on one level that the U.S. Uh, will be able to adapt, but it might be the the haves that uh, are able to best adapt, and the have-nots, the gap between them might be larger. Uh, and so that that's another reason. I, that that's actually the what I think is one of the most important reasons to do something about the changing climate. To to uh, to uh, not make the the disenfranchised feel even worse. I mean, uh, there, there's the climate gentrification issue with uh, people on the coasts. Uh, it, it, like in Miami, uh, people are being priced out in places that are that are elevated higher. Uh, th those are the more more expensive places, um, uh, and People are trying to figure out why, but it might be because of uh, the perception that uh, there's more flooding events, sea levels changing. Um, so, so the the have-nots would have to; uh, they can only afford places in the low-lying areas, which are going to be flooded more. Uh, so, it's things like that that uh, we we should do something about by. Uh, stopping this changing climate. Yeah, it's absolutely a social justice issue. And exactly. I, I think there's plenty of studies out there that kind of support the notion that uh, climate change disproportionately affects people in poverty and people of color, um, people without, like you said, access to a lot of the resources to, to fight this, which is unfair because it's the folks that have the resources that are causing a lot of it. Um, so what what are some um, organizations, nonprofits, resources that you would suggest people look into supporting, donating to either their time or money if they're able to to help kind of uh, fight climate change and or, you know, support the, the health of the oceans? Uh, well, uh, so I, I know um, I mean, on, on this topic of uh, uh, the, the inequality gap and also uh, people needing to move and migrate. Uh, my my wife and um, <clears throat> some friends uh, are starting this organization. I, I just need to give a plug for it. Uh, uh, Sin Fronteras 
social club, uh, trying to to just better support the people who who have been uh, displaced, either due to violence or possibly environmental changes. Uh, about 25% is environmental changes um, already. That might get worse. Um, and uh, so there are also the, the big organizations like uh, uh, Sierra Club, there's the Nature Conservancy, there's uh, World Wildlife Funds. Those are all good. Uh, they're, they're concerned about the oceans uh, at this point, even if they were rooted in land conservation. Uh, but but there's also specifically ocean ones like Oceana um, and the Ocean Conservancy. Uh, those are all great. Um, so the, the, those are the ones that are, that are on on my radar and minds that that I would try to support. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think uh, we've mentioned a lot of tips during the show, reducing, um, you know, your your use of resources and aerosols, uh, reproducing responsibly, flying less, using public transit, eating less meat, voting. These are all very actionable items. Um, but also getting involved with organizations or lending your time and money to those organizations that are doing some of this work um, is another way you can make an impact as an individual, I think. Because um, yeah. these folks are doing this full time and this is their main focus. Uh, so, yeah, those are some great options um, for people to to look into supporting and also look at your local community and see what um you know, environmental groups are, are there. You may not live by the ocean, but you may, you know, have groups that are doing things to reduce carbon emissions or, you know, educate the community. So yeah, I think there's, uh, there's also this uh, climate, climate uh, lobby, uh, CCL. Citizens Climate um, Lobby. Citizens Climate Lobby. Yeah. You're right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that, that's, uh, that organization forms because of uh, this, um, uh, tax and dividend, uh, the, uh, or, or the fee and dividend. I'm, I'm forgetting names at this point in the in the day, but um, I, the, I think it's the fee and dividend bill. Um, I think it was drafted by uh, Deutsch uh, in in the House, um, a representative. Uh, and so, so the idea behind that is uh, that uh, we effectively tax. Uh, people who are using carbon a lot, uh, emitting it, and uh, it, but but the people who are not doing so much of that actually get a dividend in the end, uh, so that the wealth is redistributed. And I think that is one of the smartest ways to go about this solving uh, climate change, uh, it, precisely for the the social justice reasons that we were talking about earlier. Absolutely. The CCL, I've looked into them. They're very organized. They're bipartisan. So they uh, reach out to both sides of the aisle. They have a climate caucus that they actually require for every Democrat that joins, a Republican has to join. So they will only take them in pairs. Yeah. Um, and and they, they have weekly calls with their volunteers. They really educate people and, and give you the tools to go talk to your elected officials and, and your community. So it is a great organization. And thank you for bringing that up um, for those looking to get involved at that level um, or just learn more about the work they're doing. Um, all right. Anything else bef that we didn't talk about before we move on to our green life hacks? Oh, there's so much. 
with all of that, but we don't have the time. Right. Maybe, maybe we'll do a follow-up episode next year sometime uh, if we think of another topic. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for all of that information. You've given us a lot to think about. And um, with that, I think we're going to go on to our green life hack. Um, so I guess I'll start. Uh, in honor of the topic today, I actually was going to show my coral safe sunscreen. I don't know if you can see the little <laughs> container, um, but this is a brand called All Good. There's several brands out there, but I like this one because it's in a metal container, not plastic. And it's reef friendly, um, which means it does not contain some of the chemicals that are known to uh, harm coral reefs. And I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but when you're looking at sunscreens, the thing to look for is no oxybenzone and octinizate. Did I say that right? Those are the two big culprits, I think, um, when it comes to harming corals. So there are a lot of lines out there. They are a little more expensive, um, but you know, it's worth it to, to help the planet, to help our, our coral. We've just discussed why they're so important. So that is my green life hack for today. Uh, check out some coral safe sunscreen. Yeah. Jen, what do you have for us? Well, I have made my own sunscreen, but I think we talked about that at previous shows. If not, you can, there's plenty of recipes out there. You can make your own if you don't want to buy it. Um, I think we've shown plenty of these before, but I didn't have anything else fancy or exciting. So this is just my reusable metal stainless steel straw. <laughs> I know straws have gotten a lot of, you know, recent, uh, I don't know, news about all of the plastics in the ocean. And there's a lot of restaurants in San Antonio where I live that are um, you know, not giving out straws. And if they do their, you know, paper or something mm -hmm. like that. So anyways, I just have this, I carry it around with me wherever I go. So if I need a straw, I have it. You're helping That's the all. turtles. Yep. Other fish or other wildlife. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Trostman, do you have a green life hack for us? I know you've given us a lot of things during the show, but if you have anything else you want to add. So I, I use a bamboo toothbrush. Awesome. So just trying to reduce the amount of plastic in the ocean, I guess we never touched upon that. Uh, I, I, there, there, there's a cost associated with it. I, I, what, what is it? I, 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 have it I have it here, right here. Um, uh, well, I, I think I, I remember something like um, it, it's, oh, I, I do have it right here. Um, it's 25 billion to 250 billion per year additional on top of the 500 billion to 5 trillion per year. Is this that we've already cost or uh, money ourselves. Okay. Uh, it, so the, re the reason why it costs something is that it's killing uh, ecosystems uh, and uh, there's a uh, loss of tourism. Uh, so on, uh, you've probably seen pictures of some Caribbean beaches with a lot of trash piled up on it. Mm -hmm. It's things like that. Uh, they're losing tourism. Does that take? That doesn't even take into account the health issues caused by people eating said That's plastic right. in their fish. Yeah. Which is gross. So, so that part is unknown so far, and that that's why there's such a wide range. Uh, it's 500 billion to 5 trillion. <laughs> it's an order of magnitude. 
Uh, and that's because people are not quite certain about what the, the health impacts are going to be. Uh, but And they're actually not quite certain about uh, the extent to which the uh, ecosystems have been impacted, I believe. So um, uh, it, it, pla plastic output into the ocean is, uh, is an important issue, but it, it is very separate from uh, the climate change topic. It's just, I mean, it's something that uh, our behavior is uh, is causing, but uh, it's it, actually, pla uh, so another green life hack is uh, you have to decide on a good balance between um, uh, plastics that are reusable versus biodegradable and uh, cotton-based things like tote bags. Because tote bags, you have to use them an unbelievable amount of times in order to offset the the, the carbon emissions that it took to make them um, relative to uh, just producing a plastic bag. So plastic bags take less carbon emissions, but uh, then you're putting plastic into the ocean, most likely. So it, it's it's a difficult choice uh, until... Uh, this biodegradable and uh, reusable stuff came along. Reusable plastic bags may actually be, um, and, and biodegradable ones, uh, depending upon the application. Like uh, for garbage bags, biodegradable. For grocery bags, maybe reusable plastic. That might actually be the most green way to go. Um, as long as you don't put that reusable plastic bag in the garbage and put it onto the ocean, I guess. Yeah. Lots of things to consider when you're trying to make the switch. Uh, it's not always, like you said, as cut and dry as just stop using plastic, but there are um, good alternatives. Like you said, your bamboo toothbrush, the metal straw. Uh, there's lots of things we can do as consumers when we're buying things to, you know, just try to reduce where we can. So um, awesome. Well, where can we find you online, uh, Jen? Are you online? Anywhere you'd like to promote? <laughs> no, not right now. But okay, um, exclusively here. Sustainably yes. geeky. Yes. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Trossman, would you like to promote yourself online or any uh, causes that you're championing right now? Well, just that Sin Fronteras uh, Social Club. Um, find them on Instagram, Facebook, GoFund, I believe, uh, if they're not already there. Um, it's pretty new. Um, I, and so I don't know what I'm uh, <laughs> championing yet, I guess. But the, the principle is very good. Um, and uh, so... It, it, yeah, I, I think you should follow organizations like NASA, um, American Geophysical Union, uh, Natural, National Geographic, places like that on Instagram, uh, more than following me. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you could see some, uh, some things that I thought were strange about Austin. Uh, if you really want to follow me, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm L. Juxmax. Okay. Jewish, Mexican, Texan. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me. And um, of course, you can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. We are on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, 
Pandora, Spotify, and YouTube if you want to watch us. Um, and then, of course, we have a Facebook page, and we are now on Instagram and Twitter as well. So follow us um, for you know tips and interesting uh, reposts on both of those channels. And then Facebook, of course, um, send us your ideas or your comments about shows. Um, we'd love to hear what you like about us, what you uh, would like to hear more of. Um, we really appreciate you listening. And if you subscribe to us, please give us a five-star rating to help other people find us and definitely share our show as well. Um, thank you for listening and have a good night. has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network.